But Lord Jesus, I pray that today as we um, gather here and listen to uh, what your scripture has to say to us, that it would affect us for good and that it would give us uh, a new strength uh, in our inner man. It would cause us to look at our situations in life from a different perspective and to come back with a greater trust in who you are and who you are to us in our lives and that we are willing and able to respond to you in every aspect of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Well, we've got this Sunday and next Sunday just to get through the Beatitudes. And uh, I must say that I'm having a lot of fun doing this. Uh, I, I have picked, uh, cherry-picked the Beatitudes many times. Uh, one of the things that I do when I'm teaching our missionaries in Germany, um, I, I use that verse that Jan read here, a pupil or a student is not above his teacher. Now, I know when I was in school, I always thought I knew more than my teachers. <laughs> what a silly thing, you know. But, but anyway, I've used that to say, you know, when we come to help train people, when we go into a mission situation, we're in a new country, we go in and we want to train people and invest in them to, to help them become disciples of Jesus. And then when they're fully trained, they're going to be able to do the same and reach other people. So I use that. That's a, a good verse. Um, I, I, next week we're going to talk about the house that's built on the sand and the house that's built on the rock. And, and uh, I take a look at, at, at all of these things. I pick and choose and, and I don't put them into the context that Jesus spoke all of that as one sermon. He, he was talking to his disciples on the mountainside and he starts off and goes through this whole sermon. This is the first sermon that we have that's noted. Uh, this is what Jesus was teaching. We've, we've heard that he taught a lot in the synagogues, but they didn't record all of the other sermons. This is the first sermon that Luke records that Jesus is actually speaking. And so I want to know, I've often wanted to know what were those other sermons that he preached, because whenever he preached them, great things happened. And I'm sitting there going, mm, I'm glad I, that everybody else got such a blessing out of it, but I want to know what the words were that brought that blessing. And so now I'm looking at the, at the sermon here. This is a sermon that Jesus preached. Now Jesus can preach a whole lot better than me. <laughs> As a matter of fact, Jesus is the greatest preacher that ever existed. I mean, Billy Graham doesn't hold a candle to Jesus when it comes to preaching. He might be the prince of preachers, but when it comes to Jesus, there's an entirely different situation because Jesus, knowing what's in the hearts of man, is bringing to them life that's eternal. He's not just bringing information. He is a life-giving spirit. He is bringing life with him whenever he communicates. And so I'm looking at this, and then I've got to say, why is all of this together? Now, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that the first part was how, who qualifies to be a part of the kingdom of God. We discovered how 
Anybody that's in need, anybody that's desperate, anybody that is full of guilt and shame, anybody who can't manage on their own, when they call unto him, he won't turn us aside. Whoever calls, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's who qualifies. So, so if, I, if I were to ask who qualifies here today to be a part of the kingdom of God, we ought to all raise our hands. <laughs> we qualify. <laughs> we qualify. And then we start to look at the kingdom of God. What, what exists in the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God exists in our, in, in our life, in our attitudes to one another. And we started to see that, that he talks about the things that are disruptive to that. And the things that destroy healthy life are things like pride and greed and, and wrath. Those are the things that, that undermine the very characters and qualities of who God is. Those three things, as a matter of fact, are the three that he addresses primarily here in his sermon. And he does it in a wonderful way. <laughs> but when he, when he comes to, down to it, he's saying that you need to be merciful in the same way that the Father is merciful. And, and, and Father's merciful. <laughs> He's gracious and generous with his mercy. And, and I, I, I mean, I'm sitting here looking at all of this, and it absolutely uh, encourages me. And, and uh, so life in the kingdom is vastly different to the way that we perceive life or that we read about life when we read the news or watch the news uh, or our TV programs or whatever, that's not really the life <laughs> that God comes to bring. He's far greater and far better than any of that. Now, now we come down to the next level, and he says, I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> he uses storytelling. I love this technique. He's talking to his disciples, and he's giving them some pretty hefty advice. You know, do not judge, do not condemn, pardon, and you will be pardoned. You know, uh, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Don't condemn so that you won't be condemned. Uh, that, that's what kingdom life is like. And, and then he says, I'm going to tell you some stories. That's what a parable is. But it's a story that has a kingdom benefit. When Jesus sits down to tell stories, he's not just helping us um, think, oh, that's sweet. That's an interesting story. What he's trying to do is communicate to us something in a way that we will remember it. Um, I always find it interesting that my grandkids will come and say, will you read this book to me? And I'll sit down and I'll read it. And I'm going through it. And they say, well, read it again. And, and it seems like I go back again that they want that book again. And then they, you know, I'm sitting there going, we've read this book. You know, I can practically do it by, by heart. And so by about the third or the fourth time I'm supposed to read it, I think I'm just going to 
skip over a page or two, you know? And so I, I sort of try to condense it. And you know what the kids do? No, 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 you can't do it. You, you didn't give the whole story. <laughs> you gotta go back and tell me the whole story. I'm sitting there going, they remember the story almost better than I do. I, we found in the books that, that we finally got some unpacked from our trip over from Germany, and we found a book that I was given back in 1956, wasn't it? Or 54, I don't know, I was just kind of small back then. <laughs> and my grandchildren are reading this book, and they love it. It's called Make Way for Ducklings. Any of you ever read that, Make, Make Way for Ducklings, about the... The, these ducklings in Boston. And when Jen and I were up in Boston, there's a park there where they actually have these ducklings there as the statues <laughs> in the park. And I'm, I'm going, wow, you know, but the story becomes important from generation to generation and it's remembered. And Jesus understands the power of telling stories. And so he's going to use stories to instruct us on life-changing truths and principles that are important for us. So he said, I'm going to tell you some stories. Now, the first story is, can the blind lead the blind? Well, if the blind lead the blind, they're going to end up in a pit. They're going to fall down. They won't be able to see where they're going. I thought, well, that's an interesting story. <laughs> Kind of a short one, you know, it's easy to remember. <laughs> but I get this picture of these two guys, you know, that are holding on to each other, and one's telling them specifically, we have to go this way, and the other one is saying, no, no, I think we have to go a little bit to the right. No, no, this, it comes, and then they're arguing with each other over how to go, and they fall into a hole while they're walking down the road, and, and they, miss, they miss the mark altogether. You know, if I, if I take my eyes off the road, we had that long trip back from Birmingham yesterday, and I'm looking off to the side, of, and, and Jan says, keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> if, if you're looking the wrong way, you won't know where you're going, and you've got to keep your eyes in the right place, right? I was sitting there thinking, well, this is an interesting thing. The second story is a pupil is going to be trained by the teacher. He's not greater than the teacher. But he has to be trained. And when he's trained, then he will be like his teacher and he can do what he's... Well, that makes sense. That's why we go to school, isn't it? So we can learn to read and write and hopefully do our taxes. You know, that, that's sort of like the minimum amount that you try to, <laughs> to manage. You have to go to school to at least do your taxes. Um, maybe understand your life insurance, health insurance. I, I can't understand health insurance. I still don't. Uh, even though I have a university education, I haven't figured it out yet. It's, it's a bit difficult for me. The third one, now this is a funny one, I think. The third story is, you know, um, why do you take, try to take the speck, a little tiny bit of dust, out of your brother's eye when there's this plank or this log in your own eye? And so I've got this picture of this guy with like Pinocchio noses coming out of his eyes. <laughs> and everywhere he goes, he keeps 
bumping into stuff, you know, and he's knocking stuff over, and, and every time he turns his head, I mean, I got a crazy imagination, don't I? And then he, he comes up, can you imagine trying to kiss your wife with these big logs sticking out of you? I'm going, not, not a short log, it has to be a big log, you know, I mean, now it becomes very difficult to get around. And it's very difficult to manage to do anything if you've got these big things sticking out of your head. I, he says, take the log out of your own eye first, then you can see clearly to help somebody else. Now, that's an interesting story too. And, I, and then I, I come down to the next story that he tells. All of these stories are all part of of this section, he, see, he says, you know, trees, a good tree produces good fruit and a, a bad tree produces bad fruit. And you're not going to look for figs among thorns or grapes among briars. They're not there. You're going to find grapes on a grapevine and you're going to find figs on a fig tree. I'm thinking, well, that's obvious, isn't it? <laughs> That's all, they're all very obvious kinds of stories. And I sat down as I was going through this, and I'm saying, Lord, I, I want to be kind of honest with you. I don't understand what all these things have in common. There's a reason why you're putting all of these stories together. And I think maybe my mistake of taking one out and, and just using one story as an illustration somewhere was because I haven't seen what keeps them all together. Why is it so important that these stories that you've just told illustrate something about the kingdom of God that I don't see. Now, I, I, I must admit, I, I, I like asking Jesus questions like that because he's not afraid. He doesn't get upset when I ask him questions that I don't understand. And he doesn't, you know, think I'm a nincompoop or something. He doesn't say that silly Brad, he's, there he is again asking silly questions. You know, he doesn't do that. But rather, what he does with those who love him and those that he loves, he takes time to actually communicate with us. Isn't that nice? That I can sit there and I can ask Jesus questions about things that I don't understand, and I can wait for him to actually talk to me about it. <laughs> and it was like the other morning, I'm sitting there early in the morning, all on my own, and I'm praying, and I'm reading this stuff again. And it was like, who isn't blind? I went, well, that's an interesting thing. When it comes to comparing myself to Jesus, the only person who isn't blind is Jesus. The king in the kingdom is the only one who can see properly. 
It's the king of the kingdom of God who has clarity of vision. He sees all that was, all that is, and all that ever will be. He sees an overview. He is the king. And he knows all about his kingdom. And I thought, well, if that's true, then whoever I'm walking with, we're blind. And we can't see where we're going unless we have somebody with us who knows the pathway that we have to walk. And the only one who sees the pathway that's going to lead to life and to liberty and to hope and to encouragement is Jesus. He's the only one that's going to be there to help me in the mess that I've fallen into the pit. He'll be there to help me out because he knows how to get me out of the mess. It's not just that I need somebody to help guide me. I need somebody to get me out of the pit. (coughs) And I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, this is incredible. The one who comes alongside you and me is that when we put our trust into the king of the kingdom of God is that he will not forsake us, but he'll always be there to guide us. And if we mess up, he'll pull us out. There's a psalm that says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he will not be cast down because the Lord upholds him with his hand. What an incredible thing. All of a sudden, I'm realizing that the blind people, the ones that are the ones who thought that they knew all the the right things to do and say, (laughs) but they were blind. They couldn't see that the whole of the Old Testament existed to point to Jesus. And they ended up seeing all the Old Testament does is make a series of rules that I can't keep makes a bunch of laws that all I do is break. (laughs) They didn't see that it's not about creating rules that lay a burden upon me. It's about living life together with the one who creates life. And I'm sitting there going, this is exciting. You see, when it comes to understanding who the teacher is. When I was a young preacher, I thought I had all the answers and I was trying to tell other young people that this is the way they got to do it and that's the way they got to do it. And I didn't realize I'm not the teacher. I'm the student. You know, it's a prideful thing to come and think I'm the one that has all the answers. No, the teacher is Jesus. The one who teaches about what's right and wrong and how to live in this life, that's not me. (laughs) And suddenly I took a look at that and I thought, well, this is amazing. And when Jesus says you can share this with somebody else, then I'm still a pupil and I'm still learning. It doesn't stop. It doesn't stop because he knows a whole lot more than I know. (laughs) and so I'm still learning from him and I got to thinking that's an amazing thing why 
Can't we all be students of the same master? Now, if we're all in the same class, and the master who's teaching us is Jesus, then he's going to instruct you and me in the ways that are best for us to conduct life. It's not up to me as a preacher to tell you how to live your life. (laughs) Did I just undermine what you thought pastors were supposed to do? (laughs) It's up to Jesus to do that. And the only thing I can do is say, let's get to know Jesus better. I've discovered something about the teacher in the kingdom. And when he teaches something, you tend to remember it. When he teaches you what to do or how to think or what to say, it changes everything. I take a look at specs. (laughs) Specs in our... Do I think I've only got specks in my eye? Let me tell you something. There's only one who can really take the logs out of our eyes. There's only one who can help us to see things the way they really are. There's only one who lets us see ourselves the way that God sees us. There's only one who can, who can remove from our lives Not just the logs, but all of the garbage that we've piled on in our lives. There's only one who can clean us up. There's only one who's got that ability to look into the depths of our souls and take out the things that bring real liberty, real healing, real satisfaction in God. That's Jesus. All of a sudden, it's not that I've got specks or you've got specks. We all got logs. We're all hindered by looking at things from an earthly perspective and not from the place where Jesus is sitting. Have this mind in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. You know, see things from the heavenly perspective where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. We're supposed to observe things from his perspective. It's very different from where I'm sitting right now or where you're sitting. All of a sudden, I'm realizing this log business is, we really need to have some logging going on in our lives. Somebody's got to bring the truck in and get those logs out. And it starts to change the way we see things. So it's not just the path that we go. It's not just how do we live. It's also how do we see and perceive things. And again, when it comes to that, Jesus is the answer. Now comes the next one. There's good fruit and there's bad fruit. (laughs) and when it comes right down to it as we've discovered in Romans 3.23 there is 
Not one righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now that's kind of condemning to everybody. <laughs> you know, we're sitting there thinking, oh my goodness. So if all of us have sinned, then that means that all of our trees are rotten. And the stuff that we do, even though it may look good on the outside, is coming out of a rotten core. And a lot of times people do good things out of pride because they want to be recognized for the things that they've done. And then I sit there and I'm starting to think, wait a minute, where is the good fruit? And the answer is the same. In the kingdom of God, there's only one. There's only one tree of life. And that when you eat of that fruit, you're going to live forever. And the one tree of life is Jesus. Now suddenly, I'm taking a look at all of this, and I'm realizing that I come up incredibly short. Here's Jesus talking to his disciples, and he's saying, I'm just going to tell you some stories that you won't forget. But the core of the stories that he's telling have everything to do with the kingdom life that he is there offering but it's only going to happen when there is a dramatic transition and change that comes within the heart of the one who believes you see what happens, happens in our hearts. It's not what happens on the outside with the good works that we do. It's whether or not our hearts have been transformed by the power of the one who can change them. It happens on the inside. And on the inside is something that I have to believe for. It's something that I have to believe that Jesus wants to change it, that he has the power to change it, and that he will change it when I ask him to. Amen. <laughs> and that's the incredible love of God, is that he is waiting for us to say, I need that transformation, and he will answer that prayer. Not maybe, not perhaps, not that is his will. It is the will of God that none should perish. That's God's will. You want to know what the will of God is? His will is that he will answer the call of our hearts when we cry unto him. That's preaching. <laughs> it's, it's not something that I need to twiddle my thumbs and hope and pray. Maybe sometime God might. No, when I call, he will answer. Because he's waiting on that prayer to come. And when we pray that prayer from our hearts, he comes to dwell inside of us and transform us from the inside out. I love this. I love this bit where it says here, it says here, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. 
Now get this. This is it. This is the clue as to whether or not there's been a transformation in the heart. The transformation in the heart tells me I'm not going to go my way, I'm going his way. The transformation in the heart says I'm not the teacher, I'm the student. The transformation in the heart says I'm the one with the logs and I'm going to rely upon the one who can do logging in my life to take them out. The, the, the transformed heart is the one that says I'm going to do what you do and what you say because when I do what you do, that brings good fruit. Not what I do. The transformed heart is the one that speaks it. For this is it. This is the key. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Now, when I was a young man and I had <coughs> was out living on my own, going to... I did my freshman year at the College of Worcester in Ohio and got a job that summer in Pittsburgh um, on, the, on the railroad. And so I'm down there with these older guys. <laughs> I guess they were older. They're all working anyway, but they were a lot older than me, you know, when you're 20 and they're uh, 40. The, the old people. <laughs> uh, we were repairing railroad cars. And I want to tell you what, there wasn't one of them that didn't have a filthy mouth. And there wasn't anything that people would do when they got their paycheck on Friday. They spent the first half of it down at the bar. And I tell you what, I could hold my own with them. My mouth was as filthy as their mouths. I want to tell you something. I, I could swear, I could swear better, I could go to church. <laughs> but during the week, boy, none of those men could hold a candle to my swearing. I knew that when I was around people that were sort of religious, you just didn't talk that way. Especially if they were your parents, you didn't do that. But they had no idea what I was like when I was around my mates or what I did when I got drunk. They had no idea what was going on. <laughs> the day that I met Jesus, I lost half of my vocabulary. Now, I've lived with Jen now for 41 years. Sweetheart, how often have you heard me swear? <laughs> you better say that a little bit louder because nobody can hear you. Never. <laughs> Something happened when the heart was changed by the power of God on the inside, something happens that changes the way we speak. And it's our, it's our mouth that begins to confess what's going on on the inside. Is there faith on the inside? Is there trust in God on the inside? Is there hope in God on the inside? Those are the things that your mouth begins to confess when something has changed in the heart. 
And I, I took a look at that and I'm saying, you know, I've read that somewhere. And I went back and I found out it's in Romans. <laughs> of all the places where we're talking about faith. And there it says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now I'm sitting there going, you see, it requires two things. Something happens in my heart where I realize in my heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. When I believe that on my heart and my mouth says, Jesus is Lord, because <laughs> he's conquered death, he's conquered sin, he's conquered the devil, he is the victor, and he's the greatest victor that ever lived and ever will live, he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When my mouth says what my heart believes, I am saved. It comes out of the heart. My heart has to believe first and then my mouth begins to share what's going on on the inside. I took a look at that and I'm going, oh my goodness. This passage points so much to both the position of Jesus that he wants to have in our lives and at the same time, it points to how we can have access to the whole life that he's talking about in a relationship with a father in heaven who loves us and wants us to be his children. My mouth confesses I am a child of God. My mouth says, I am loved by a father who loves me more than I could possibly love myself. My mouth says what my heart believes, that I am saved forever and ever. My mouth says, I know in whom I have believed. I know him. <laughs> I am persuaded that he is able to keep his promises. You see, my, my heart is transformed and then my mouth begins to say what my heart believes. My confession changes. I no longer confess that I'm a sinner. <laughs> no, the work of Jesus on the cross saved me from sin. Yeah. I'm a child of God. You know, my, my grandkids do things that they ought not do from time to time. Really, they, you know, they're kids, you know. <laughs> you tell them to do something and they may or may not do it. <laughs> it doesn't change the fact that they are my kids, my grandkids. It doesn't change it one little bit. That's who they are. And they know who it is. Even if I tell them often, they still come back and say, Dad or Opa. They know who I am to them in their lives. 
And we have that same relationship except with a heavenly father who's much better than any of the fathers that you and I had. And I come back and I say, you know, this is incredible. You want to know who's, who's acceptable into the kingdom? <laughs> Those that made a mess of life. You know, who, who has the right to be restored and brought to life? They're the ones who put their faith, their hope, and their trust in Jesus. And then you start taking a look at what happens when we do do that. Then we become merciful like our Father is merciful. And then we begin to say the things that Jesus says. And the things that Jesus says come straight from the heart of the Father. He only says the things that his Father says. That's all he talks about. And I'm sitting there going, and you and I have access to those words when our hearts are changed. When Jesus changes our hearts. It's the changed heart that allows us to be merciful and generous and non-judgmental, non-condemning, forgiving. It's the changed heart that transforms the life of those who are weak and weary and worn out. What an incredible, what an incredible gift that Jesus brings when he starts to preach these things to his disciples in a way that they won't forget. This is important. Don't forget it. Father, I want to thank you for your word today to us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you preach, <laughs> your words carry life with it. Your words bring encouragement and hope to the downtrodden, to those who are sick, to those who are weary. You come to transform us from the inside out, to change the way we not only see and perceive things, but also you change the way that we speak about things so that our lives, too, become lives that will bring good fruit. Our lives will be the ones that bring encouragement and hope to other students who are following after the teacher. And I pray, Lord, that, that we would all learn to put our trust in you when it comes to walking the pathway of life. That though we don't see the way ahead, we know that with you with us, we'll not miss a step, but we will accomplish the things that you put us on this earth to do. And we thank you for that. And now, Lord, I pray that you would be with us this coming week. Let your word in our hearts produce good fruit in this coming week, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glenn, let's have our hymn of invitation. As always, we invite those who would like to have prayer to come or who want to meet with Jesus down here. You can do that. You're welcome to doing that. Amen. Page